And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. It's one of those like things where I swear, I think it's like Mac plants a bug. Yep. Like, and it's just like, oh, cool. You've had this for five years. Let's start making it break. Yeah. I, didn't they get sued for that with phones not that long ago? I think, yeah, they had some like weird software installed where everything started working. It just would start slowing down the phone after every update. Could you imagine having that conversation with an employee? It's like, hey, I need you to make a software that just kind of makes the phone shit. You have to find the least ethical person at the company that's <laughs> really good at engineering and just be like, this This stays between us. But just that thing that you spent years making, now we need you to install something that will just gradually break it. And we will for <laughs> sure let you take the fall if we get caught. Uh, we will pretend that we never even knew your name, <laughs> but you, you will go down and never be hired by anyone ever again. I love that. I am so excited that you're on and this is your episode. Now it's not just us talking toy scene for Patreon, but this is your episode. And no, this is awesome. Yeah. Thank I'm, you for having me. And what's great, like you don't even make like toys in the resin scene anymore, right? No, not really. So it's been is... uh, it's been a couple of years. I'm trying to think what the last one I did was. I think it was with Killer Bootlegs. The Vomit? No, no. That was a long time ago. Okay. This was, we, we did a tribute to um, Curse of the Werewolf, the Hammer film. Oh, okay. But gosh, even that was probably like four years ago. Gosh, wow. I'm trying to think if I've done anything more recently. Well, I'm, I'm super excited about... Uh like the podcast as a whole because we've been going to artists like you who may not have been in the scene for a couple years now or um, we're pulling in some of these like movie people like Toby Philpot and it's been so fun and um, yeah yeah and so it, it's just an exciting thing because there's a different perspective that we see from people that have been in the scene for so long and then mm -hmm. now get to look from the outside but you let let me just start here. You have done some incredible stuff. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, my, my time in the scene was was really fun. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. And I kind of always think about popping back in now and again. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess recently I did some stuff with, uh, with Dan O'Brown. Okay. That was probably the last, like, collaboration thing. But it was more, it was doing one-off stuff. Yeah. But that's sort of, like, tangentially like the last thing I've done uh, scene wise. And that was within the past probably two, 
two years. It's like I moved. And so I always place everything like before or after move. And yeah. so those are both before my move. So they may, may have been like two years ago. Okay. So that's mm-hmm. relatively recent. So, yeah, yeah. But then your like professional, like the that lineup of what you've had influence on, what you've sculpted, how who you've worked with, that is just a, that's a list that's incredible as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's been sort of my, I kind of went from like professional toys to the resin scene to professional toys again. Yeah. It was sort of like, um, it was an odd transition because like a lot of people who I think, or at least back back when, like a lot of people liked the idea of doing resin because it felt kind of like a stepping stone to potentially doing this as like a career. Yeah. And I kind of came in from it the other way where I was like, I kind of want to break from my career and I want to work on things that I think are fun. Yeah. You know, like, see, we all kind of missed those, like those big Kenner years. And so it was like, uh, Hey, I'm probably never going to get to sculpt a star Wars figure, but like, I can, I can make one on my own now and kind of like scratch that itch a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm excited you're here. Do you want to, we'll start it off right from the top. Do you want to introduce yourself and let people know the rock star we got on today? Oh gosh. I'm not, I'm not great at talking about myself, but, uh, <laughs> so I'm great. I'm good at, at rambling. Uh, so my name is Tyler Ham. Uh, I've been in the resin scene uh, since, gosh, probably about 2012. Um, I've been a professional in the toy industry. I kind of started as a professional toy person, uh, as art director, creative director, sculptor. Uh, I've even worked on the licensing side. Uh, I've done sculpting for Factory Entertainment, um, Mego most recently. Uh, Tommy Toys, uh, EFX Collectibles, um, Paragon Effects Group, uh, which is where I'm creative director currently. So just a lot of uh, a lot of different places doing a lot of different things. And prior to the toy industry, I spent ten years in the film industry at uh, like DreamWorks, Industrial Light and Magic, and uh, Tippett Studio. Jeez, as if toys <laughs> and like your entire toy history wasn't enough, you also did like film and all that stuff. Yeah, that was kind of, that was my really first entry into being a professional anything. I got out of college, I got a film degree, then I went and studied 3D art and went directly, I mean, almost directly from college right into the visual effects industry at Tippett Studio. And I, I stayed in it up until about 2000, uh, 2000, uh, 2010, I guess, I guess it was a little later, 2011, but mm-hmm. I kind of started freelancing in the toy industry kind of while I was kind of coming out of the film industry. So those kind of overlapped a little bit. What? Okay. We're going to get there. Let's start at the beginning. How does toys like we're talking young ham FX, young Tyler ham mm-hmm. here. How does toys impact you from like childhood onto this is kind of where I want to be. This is kind of what I want to do. Like I was a big, I mean, you'll, I feel like you hear this from everyone that comes on the show that does this, but like, I was just a big toy kid. Mm -hmm. Like that was just like toys were my friends, like, you know, my babysitters, my, my, my bribes, like what to, to do things, you know? And it was cause we were kind of of that age. Like, so I'm 44. So I was born in 77. Mm -hmm. And so when you kind of hit that, like 81, 82, where you get the deregulation of commercialized animation and all those kind of things that added to this sort of perfect storm of just 
kind of I consider it kind of the greatest toy generation. Yeah. Because I mean, other other I mean, I, I'm nostalgic for toys of the past. Like I, you can't see this, but I, I have some like '50s ray guns, and I, I love the aesthetic of it. Mm-hmm. And but even like Mego in the in the '70s was nothing compared to what we had growing up. If you kind of hit that '77 to like '85, '86, '87 mark, because that was just the a, a massive Star Wars lines, the GI yeah. Joe line, which is just I mean, way larger than Star Wars. Uh, Masters of the Universe, which is a giant line. We had Transformers. Then you had sort of niche things like Voltron and Godekin robots and Thundercats and Silverhawks. I mean, it was just, I mean, like when you look back at it, it's like kind of like the nefarious reasons behind it where they're, you know, toy makers are making cartoons to make kids buy toys. But like, I didn't care. I loved all of it. Like I loved Inhumanoids. (laughs) Like I loved Silverhawks, like all these shows that they did the 13 episodes and then disappeared. It's just a great time. And so like, it was really just growing up with toys that kind of kept me in love with them and never really fell out of love with them. Mm-hmm. You know, there was like eras where um, I guess like the world was a little less um, accepting of, well, of a lot of things back in the late nineties or early nineties, I'm sorry, late eighties. But like, if you were an adult, like budding adult male who was a toy collector that was like you kept that secret yeah you know like the like pre you know internet and pre-realizing that there's millions of you you know that was kind of like it was almost like a dirty secret and so for you know i kind of switched over to like the things that were okay to collect i guess you could say like comic books and baseball cards even though like i I hated baseball like i never watched a sport in my life but like everyone else my age who was a boy collected baseball cards and so it's like you go and do the baseball cards and then Eventually, like just by going to, we used to have a flea market in my town mm-hmm. and just eventually by going to the flea market, I ran into a guy that was selling loose, complete Star Wars figures. And this was probably back in like 92. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were cheap, but it was like, I didn't even, I kind of had forgotten they existed. I certainly wasn't used to seeing them with accessories because yeah. that's, you know, none of my childhood, well, all my childhood toys got given away. But like none of them ever survived accessories. And that just sort of, I kind of befriended this guy and it kind of respawned to this kind of collection. And then it just, that's that's never stopped since. What? So I'm glad that you say that because there's so many people that they'll say that they never stopped with toys. They always had toys. Mm-hmm. They never, but there is like, I grew up, so I'm only 31. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get, I I envy the people that had like, the Motu figures and the Star Wars figures, but uh, I only got those passed down to me. And I had the early '90s lines. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Fun. I got uh, Power Rangers. There were a lot of great toys that came out. Yeah, that, that was kind of envious of because there's so much Power Ranger nostalgia, and I was like, God, like this seems yeah. like a cool thing. It was just not. I I had outgrown it by that time. Yeah, which currently now I'm trying to get my hands on Megazord parts and they are so expensive. <laughs> so I'm um, anyone that's listening, I need Megazord parts. Um, but I, I like I went through a phase where I didn't get the original Star Wars figures. I got the power of the mm-hmm. force. And then sure. after a certain point, I think I've talked about this before, where it's like I was introduced to girls. Like I saw I like there mm-hmm. was the greater part of the world for me. <laughs> And uh, anything that I had collected, Pokemon cards or toys or anything, was just out the door. That's sort of the transition you hear where everyone's just like, and then I discovered girls. 
Yeah. Or, you know, like that's just, and that's where everything went, you know? And uh, I think that's, I, I, I hear that a lot too, where people are like, I've collected all my life. And that's always been like, I mean, if you talk, want to talk about like a, a petty pet peeve, like that's kind of one of mine because, yeah. you know, the, like I didn't collect toys when I was four. Mm-hmm. Like I played with toys. Like it would have been sad. Like it'd been a sad childhood oh, yeah. if I collected all those toys back then. You know, like what kid has a a full you know set of mint toys from their childhood that they were wanting to keep in good condition versus actually enjoying the the inherent like imagination and play value that yeah. comes with them. <laughs> yeah, I so. I don't even know that I played with them. I destroyed them. Yeah. See, I never destroyed mine. Like yeah. mine got like my my dad just I went to summer camp one summer and I came home and he had donated like all of my toys. Yeah. While I was while I was at sleepaway camp. Uh but I never destroyed them. Like they're always in like reasonable shape. Mm-hmm. But like I, I used them constantly and like all the accessories were gone, you know, the missiles yeah. that fired gone, but they were still like, and I wasn't like the, like the BB gun target kid. Like I, I had a friend that I would do that with and I would like destroy his toys. Yeah. But like, <laughs> like, then, I, then I would like go home and, and, and coddle mine a little bit. Yeah. Um. So you, at, at like you get that reawakening with we yeah. meet this guy that has these toys and what does that do for you as like collecting how old are you about that point and then like does it awaken this thing where you just start buying them or getting them gifted to you in like loads it was sort of, so this was i must have been like 15 because when i turned 16 that was probably 92 93 i guess and like, then I could drive my, I remember driving myself to the flea market. I remember mm-hmm. like going with my parents' friends yeah, or, or my mom and dad would drop me off. Like they didn't like going, but like, I would go with a buddy who was going. And so I was probably like 15, 16 when I kind of started like recollecting. Mm-hmm. And back then we interrupted this broadcast of toys on top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have engine failure. We almost crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my! We're doomed! Wait! Salvation! Hooray! We're saved in DLP2! Limited edition custom artist made action figures and DKE Toys! Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures! DKE! Like the most expensive vintage star wars figure like production wise uh like when i when i finished my set in high school was uh the figure yak face and like that one was that was just out of my price range Mm -hmm. but it was like 80 bucks yeah you know like it was was attainable you know whereas now they're they're in the hundreds and like I, i i don't think i would even even pay that now but where i got most of them was like i still had friends who they were just toys to them and like i would go to my friends houses and like they would have an attic or like a junk room mm-hmm. and they would have all their old star Wars stuff. And I didn't, I didn't get into GI Joe and all those other lines till later. I kind of star Wars was the one that got me back in. And uh, they would just have boxes of stuff that was meaningless to them. It was just junk. And so I'd be like, how much do you want for this box of toys? And they'd be like oh, 20 bucks, 50. I don't care. Like yeah. I haven't, you know, it's going to go in the garbage can or sometimes I would, they would just be given to me and, you know, flea markets, you could pick them up for four or five bucks each. 
um, toy shop magazine, which used to be this like great publication would have ads. So you could like flip through toy shop and call dealers, you know, all around the world. Yeah. Like, I guess literally all around the world. Um, back then, like the around the world call would have cost more than the thing you're buying. Yeah. But like, you know, like I could call like this guy in Washington who I got a lot of my stuff from and, you know, shipping was so much cheaper than too. So I could buy like $35 worth of figures from him. And like, you know, back in the days where you had to send a money order. And then like a week and a half later, like the, the small box shows up. Yeah. You know, just like, like on like the slow, you know, the, the slower days of collecting. And it was more fun. I, I personally think it was more fun back then. Cause it was more of a hunt. Whereas mm-hmm. now, like essentially anything you want is, is fairly readily available. You know, back then it was just like, what's at the comic store today? What dealers are at the flea market today? Am I going to, you know, am I going to get to call this guy from toy shop before someone else does? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like now that's so true, but I think also because it's all readily available, man, the prices have skyrocketed for everything. It is crazy. Like I, I gave up, I, I got, so after I, worked at ILM for a couple of years. Um, so I, I went and worked at ILM and then I went, I did some onset work in New York and I came back and my dad had uh, very advanced cancer at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I was just kind of like, and it was just like timing wise, I just got real burnt out on at least like the star Wars collecting. Cause it started to feel less um, like on the grand scheme. A, like I'd been in the belly of the beast at ILM for three years yeah so where it's like it's not star wars is not everything there but like it's everywhere like you're you're there yeah um and then like with seeing like my dad dying it kind of made like toy buying in a, in a way like there's a little bit of like retail therapy but it also kind of makes things feel less important materialistically mm-hmm. and so i just kind of put that stuff away and went on to kind of like other toy lines that i was kind of dabbling in trying to find kind of a replacement for star wars and then when I started recollecting when um, the force awakens kind of that first trailer for that kind of made me like relove star Wars again, it was mm-hmm. kind of a, this like, Oh God, like I do love this. And um, after like the Disney acquisition, all that, and then I came back and I saw the prices for all these things. And it's like, God, like I would have never been able to do this. Like if I pay now yeah. prices for that stuff and I've sold so much stuff, that's worth so much more now, but, um, but just like the basic, you know, U.S. released set. Some of those figures are so expensive now that it's like it's it would be unattainable for just like a normal person, like especially like a high school kid. Like I put my oh, set together yeah. in high school from like odd job money. You know, like I can't there. I, I can't imagine that kid exists now that could do this. <laughs> What's crazy too is I'll see those like they're like if the figure's not wrapped you'll see these little cases that are graded mm-hmm. and the figure with the accessories are in there yeah yeah and there's some figures that i just didn't see growing up i never saw a yak face i never saw a monomon or whatever that name is and yeah. now these things are going for like 15 1600 bucks and it's like what what am i going to do with that like han the han and carbonite i remember when i bought a carded figure like this is back in the early 90s again like yeah. there was no reference books and i bought a Someone, I still have it. Uh, it's about Power of the Force Wicket, and so mm-hmm. on the back, it it's you know Power of the Force has like the ninety two figures. Yeah. And I remember looking on the back of that, and being like, "They made that! Like that's awesome! Like there are all these figures that I didn't like the, um, yeah, like a man and man was one. Um, uh, the um, what's his name? 
Oh, like the blue version of the Snaggletooth, the blue Snaggletooth, yeah. which I wasn't on the card back, but like all these figures where it's like, where did these come from? These are awesome. And it like totally opened my mind up to this, like, well, I, I would have wanted this. Like, yeah. like where, where was this when I was a kid? I, I remember seeing the Luke Skywalker Stormtrooper on a, a shelf in Long's Drugs back when Long's was still a thing. Wow. But uh, like, I didn't buy it. I, I chose a, um, a Secret Wars Daredevil instead. Oh, it, was, it was it was one of those bri- it was one of those bribe trips yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so my mom was like you get to pick one of these and so like star wars was kind of like on the way out then and like marvel oh. comics was kind of on the way in <laughs> yeah which is so crazy too because you hear about all these like companies that started taking a dive in the mm-hmm. mid 90s like marvel selling off characters and star oh, wars yeah. is kind of petering out but then you hear stories about people still wanting to collect them and it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know how these companies were dying out. People still wanted them. I still were, I bought a bunch of speeder bikes, the Return yeah. of the Jedi speeder bikes on clearance at KB for like a dollar. I mean, they were super cheap. Yeah. I still, we still had like the VHS movie. You know, like I still remembered Star Wars. I didn't have a, my parents had recorded them off of TV at some point. So mm-hmm. like they, they weren't non-existent in my life, but they certainly didn't have the priority they used to. But you know, like for a dollar, I'm going to buy a speeder bike. Like those things are great, you know, yeah. even if I'm not that active in it. You get reignited and then you go to high school and then you're off at college studying film and stuff. So yeah. do you just do you, are you the person that takes all these toys with you? Do you leave them at home? What are you doing with all of them? I just left them at home because, again, yeah. it was like a different time. Like, I don't know how college kids. I mean, I think like everything is so much more accepted now. Yeah. But I like didn't want to be the guy like with the dorm room full of toys like i was trying to like find a girlfriend you know like just you're trying to do these things and you're just like that doesn't seem like like the like that's not gonna be like the the girl magnet at the time like you know but i'm also you're like 18 like you don't know anything like it's just everyone's just insecure and and prioritizing all the wrong things you know so like you know there's no like just be yourself back then um and I was pretty shy. So like, I was just like anything like that's, that's not going to help me has to go. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of did, I kind of went more like filmy at that point, you know, like my, my dorm room is more like movie posters and stuff. Cause like the film people seemed kind of cool. Like yeah. maybe, maybe that'll help. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And more widely acceptable for some reason, collecting anything other than toys was so widely acceptable. Which is so weird to me. Cause like, like, you'll meet dudes that are like oh toy collecting's for dorks and then they go home and have like a bunch of like dan marino jerseys or, or you know like yeah. Brett Favre jerseys on their walls and like you know team photos and helmets it's like it's no different but it, it wow. like is different and i'm glad it's not feeling as different now but it was like it was like i i hid that i remember i had a friend from college come home uh I just went home for a weekend and I invited him to come and like, we went back into my, my high school bedroom and I was like, Oh, like I forgot all this stuff still up on the walls. And I was like sweating. I'm like, Oh man, like, is this going to socially just murder me? You know? (laughs) And it worked, it it worked out. I blamed a lot of it on my little brother. I was like, Oh, my brother keeps all this junk in here. Like, (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) And then they're like, why don't you just pull it down? No, 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 it's fine. Leave it. Oh, yeah, Leave don't it. no, don't touch it. Just uh just like complain with me. Yeah, I'm just gonna uh oh, that kid. Like, yeah, just walk out. It's like oh bullet dodged. 
So you get through uh, college and film and stuff, and then you immediately start in this, in 3D design, correct? Yeah. So what does that look uh, like as far as going into the movies, 3D designing for possibly major franchise? Like, what does that look like for you? That was, so like, I got out of film school, and then it was like, you're out of film school, so now get a job. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how to get a job in the film industry. And uh, so I moved back home and I was applying and doing all the things you're supposed to do when you get a job, trying to find a job. And I forget what happened. Like, I think my mom had gone to a, a dinner or something and she sat next to someone who was, who was founding this 3D art and design school, mm-hmm. um, like 45 minutes away. And she got the, the name of the school and she came back because I really wanted to be in special effects. Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to be in practical effects. Um, and it was kind of just at that tipping point where that no longer existed. We're kind of at the dawn of the CG age. Yeah. But like, I, A, like, how do you get into practical effects? But B, like, how do you get into digital effects? It just seemed like an entire mystery because 3D itself was a much larger mystery. Um, and so she's like, do you want to go check the school out? So I went on a tour. Uh, I loved it. And the lady's like, we have a new class starting in like in eight days. Do you want to just hop in that class so i just i just like yeah like i'll see you in eight days and that was like an 18 month intensive it was like nine ten hours a day yeah five days a week for 18 months geez was it worth it Mm -hmm. like and that better question was it worth it when you were doing it because like five days a week nine hours a day like did you think that it was did you enjoy it i loved it actually because it was way more it was like it was like even in college, like even in film school, yeah. Like I loved film, but there's classes you have to take where you're just like, Ugh, like I don't want to take this class. And this yeah. was just all classes I wanted to take. There were some like per, you know, preliminary classes, which were ironically all film based, and so like that was a piece of cake. Like I, I, I knew the film world, and then this was just like I had never even opened a 3D program, and so mm-hmm. it was all brand new, all learning. You know, it was like a the the main like one of the main softwares in the 3d industry is maya mm-hmm. and like this was like maya 1.5 like that software had just been released and so we we're kind of like growing with this new kind of somewhat accessible software program yeah and it was awesome like it was just like and at that point everyone thought like 3d is the future i was mm-hmm. like i will never have job insecurity like this is going to be awesome like i'll be you know these dreams of like being like high paid because it's kind of like a technical specialized job like yeah all of which didn't come true but at the time it was like it was like yeah like i'm setting myself up like this is gonna be there's no looking back yeah enter the metaverse and all that stuff now yeah oh yeah exactly like it was like i'm gonna you know we're gonna make dinosaurs come back to you know just everything like imaginable that like the the 3d opened for us yeah yeah are you uh, talking like these so this is we're maybe late 90s at the mm-hmm. earliest, right? So you're talking these things are on floppy disks still? This was like 99. So I, did, I went to in college from 95 to 99. I came home and I, I guess I, I like, I came home after that like weird semester in 99. So this was like the very beginning of the year 2000. Okay. And so it wasn't like, it may have been floppy disks. Yeah. Like I, I remember like those like zip disks were a big deal. Oh, had, like a hundred yeah. megs. Yeah, yeah. And we were like, it can't get bigger than this. Yeah, like this is like a whole hard drive. Like, oh my god, like I was fitting all my projects on there. I like, remember now I have Photoshop that. files bigger than this. Oh you know? yeah, like, 
Uh, that was the crazy <laughs> thing. I got I had one in middle school that said Photoshop or it said some kind of Adobe file or something like that. And I put it in and I designed something. And then the teacher was like, well, I don't know how you're going to store it because a floppy disk is only one megabyte. You might as well just save it to the computer. Yep. Like, well, okay, like, great. How, like how far we've come. Like yeah. it's, it's insane. And, and so, so this was like, yeah, back then. Yeah. Like you, well, you yeah, start floppies doing and, this design and you start like going to this intensive and I'm assuming you fall in love. Like this is mm-hmm. igniting a whole nother creative passion. And yeah. then you, how long between exiting this program and then working in the industry? What are we talking there? Just a few months. Oh. I, uh, yeah, like, so I finished the program and the guy, they had like a placement person there. And uh, cause all, I just really like, even in high school, like I just wanted to work for industrial light magic. Like I wanted to work on a star Wars movie, like really mm-hmm. bad, or at least just be at the place that created star Wars. Yeah. And, uh, and at this point, like Phantom Menace had come out, like star Wars was ramping up again. It's like, all yeah. I want is star Wars. And I, so I get out of uh, the intensive school and like, I'm applying and a, a month or so later, the placement guys like, Hey, I have an, uh, a production assistant position opened up at Tippett studios. Mm. Uh, which was also very close by. Um, would you like that? Like, yeah, of course I would. So I went and I did that. And then um, through Tippet, after doing sort of like, it was funny, like I went to Tippet for a few months and uh, then I actually left Tippet to go work at Electronic Arts. Mm-hmm. And then Tippet called me back and I went back to Tippet. And uh, when I went back to Tippet, that's when I started getting actually more into like a 3D artist versus like a production assistant is someone who for the most part just goes around, like you make the coffee in the morning. You kind of make yeah. sure things are going, what do you, what do you need? Do I have to go get you lunch today? Like that sort of stuff. And then uh, that sort of evolved into uh, what was then called a match move artist, which is like a, a 3d actual 3d artist job. Wow. And so, like, just as a, a pause to have a placement person, not even have you apply, but say, Hey, we have a job here. Do you want it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Don't even uh-huh. ask. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I still had to go and do the interview process and everything, but it was like, you know, they needed someone. He thought I'd be a good fit. I'm like very here. Yeah. Here you are. Which is yeah. incredible. Was, how did you, it so, was awesome. How did you make the jump from like the assistant producer role to like, when they call you back, was that conversation like, Hey, do you want to do more stuff? What, what was that? Cause they knew you as one. How did they get you to yeah. the next role? So uh, I went to electronic arts yeah. and that was like a 3d, like an entry level game job, but it was still a 3d artist job. Mm-hmm. Um, then I forget I the game I was on got canceled and we kind of, they kind of like shoehorned a couple of us into other games, but like, I don't know. I just got put in a game. I didn't want to be on. It was like tiger woods. Like I didn't want to be on a golf game. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, just had kind of had it one day where I was like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And so I just gave my notice and then just moved back home. Like mm-hmm. kind of not, it wasn't very well thought out. And um, uh, just one day, one of the higher ups there called and said, Hey, we, we have another production assistant job. It's different than the one you had before, mm-hmm. but you know, would, would you come back and do it? And that's, that's like, something that a lot of people might not realize like production assistant, there's kind of like two different versions of that. 
there's like the one that like makes coffee and gets lunches and just kind of does stuff that needs to be done. And then there's production specific production assistance, which is more like assisting the production team in like preliminary scheduling. Mm. You, so you're sort of more assigned to a movie and you kind of help out on the specific film versus, um, like a studio production assistant that's just kind of like looking out for everyone. And so I went back as a film uh, specific production assistant for uh, the film, The Stepford Wives. Okay. And uh, while I was on that, they needed a, uh, I forget what happened. They needed more matchroom people than they had. And, um, or I was on a, yeah, no, I was on Stepford Wives. And so they were kind of rolling into uh, like Stepford Wives was a big production and they were working on uh, the third matrix film. Mm -hmm. And so they needed more artists than they needed production people. Mm -hmm. And um, because they knew I had a 3d background, they're like, Hey, why don't you, why don't you try this? And so I kind of went through a quick training, like getting up to speed on how to do match move. They just kind of just put me right in the department. It was like, you guys got to go. Like we, we need this department really bad to be ramped up. So run. Yeah. And that's holy. just how it, yeah. And that's just how it started. Yeah, my, my first shots were for, um, gosh, what was it? I think Hellboy and uh, the third Matrix movie. Those are the first okay. two I was put on in like an artist capacity. Are you the one that we should blame for how bad the third Matrix movie was? I did one shot. <laughs> <laughs> that was the shot that kept me interested. Let's just say that. Uh-huh. It was yeah. the good one. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of wiggling. Like that's, that's all it is. So I can't, I can't take much, I can't take much credit for, uh, for the downfall. Yeah. What's funny about that. My wife's father loves Mm -hmm. the matrix movies. And so like, we'll watch them whenever we see him. But now if we get to the third one, when I see Keanu wiggling, I'm going to pause it. Like, I know that guy. Mm -hmm. So be like, this is where it all went down. Like, yeah, you're this welcome. Is, this is the moment for me <laughs> where, where it all turned into garbage. Yeah. Uh, so how long are you with this company or working in this type of graphic design or 3D design before you start moving into or make the jump into toys? Uh, I made the jump into toys. So I was at Tippet for like two years. Okay. I was at a, a smaller company called GKR for about a year. Uh, and you kind of hop around this industry. And then it was yeah. like ILM for three years um, on set for eight or nine months and, you know, across the country, then back at uh, DreamWorks Animation. And when I was at DreamWorks Animation, um, a guy that like, it was really weird, full circle. Um, I had a friend who lived in Canada who was visiting Lucasfilm mm-hmm. and he brought a friend of his along with them. And I was like, Hey, you're going to be here. Let's have lunch together. And so the three of us all just had lunch because I was at ILM. It's all the same building. And this guy that he brought was in the toy industry from the UK. Okay. And he's a very nice guy. And he was, I was like, I'm toys are cool. Like, Hey, like, you know, and he's he just like, Hey, if you ever are interested in talking about toys, uh, just give me an email. And it was like, yeah, cool. Okay. And it yeah. kind of, that was all there was to it. And so like fast forward, I'm at DreamWorks. And I had this idea for like, like a crypto zoologic kind of almost like Mego esque line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember this guy, and then we connected on LinkedIn. I'm just not saying his name just for privacy sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I'm not trying to be secretive. I, I just like <laughs> I just do that. And uh, I was like, oh, hey, like this guy's on LinkedIn, you know. And I looked, and it turned out he'd like moved to the United States and was working at a company like an hour away. Mm-hmm. And so I called him, we got to chatting and 
he said, you know, I'm going to be at this event. Do you want to come and just hang out? You know, there was a James Bond themed event and there were a James Bond licensee. So, and uh, I went and I was hanging out with him and he uh, just asked me and he's like, hey, like, I know you're a 3D artist. Uh, can you sculpt? Uh, can you sculpt? It was basically his question. Mm-hmm. And like the real answer was no, but I was like, yeah, I can sculpt. And uh, he said, cool, we need someone to sculpt the, the fossilized bone hand from the creature from the Black Lagoon. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Earth to Kentucky. Aliens have landed. Earthling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Toys, 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 toys. Well, you come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci-fi, lowbrow, and art bootleg toys. Toys, toys, toys. They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. Toys, toys, toys. They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys and toys, 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 and t-shirts. Designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. toys. Hey, look at that over there. It's a spaceship. Yeah. I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com. That's earth2kentucky.com. Or just land your spaceship when they're open. Oh. Do you want to do that? Yeah. And like, I had never sculpted anything ever. Like nothing. But I was like, I am not going to turn down the chance to do this. <laughs> like, yeah. what a cool piece. And so I just told him, I was like, yeah, I can totally do it. And so he was like, well, like the job's yours if you want it. And so I went home and I, I'd had like a 3D modeling class. But that's very different than 3D sculpting. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of like taught myself, you know, like 3D sculpting, this like new software called Mudbox was brand new then, which is more of a sculptural program like ZBrushes. And so I like went home and taught myself that software and just kind of ran with it and hoped no one figured out that it was all just based on lying. Yeah. Was that so? I, there's a quote that's like never, t- never turn down a project. Just learn as you go, or something like that. Yeah. And so, <laughs> when you're doing that, like you're, that's got to be a fear-based thing, correct? Like you get on that program and you've got some fear running through because you have no idea what you're doing. Well, there's no turning back either. Yeah. Like I was, I was fairly confident I could figure it out. But I didn't okay. know if I could, and it's like. And you get to that point where this was, you know, like 2011, like toy sculptors just seemed like myths to me. Like, it's like, who gets to sculpt toys? Like, it was just an industry I didn't know how to get in. How do you get to become a sculptor for that? Like, it just seemed like just an incredible thing. Yeah. And so, and that I, that I never thought I could be a part of. And so when it was, it's like, this is my first shot, but if I blow this, I'm probably not going to get another job from this guy. Mm-hmm. and like i'll have nothing to show and so it is it is very very fear-based like a, there are a couple of my early projects that i was so close to just giving the deposit back and just being like i just can't do this and then it's like you take a step back breathe a little bit yeah. you know reassess and it all just kind of worked out and i've been doing it really kind of ever since so uh i'm not like too familiar with 3d sculpting but i do know mm-hmm. There's that artist, um, Desert Octopus. He's the one I, I look yeah, at his stuff. Yeah, I've downloaded some of his stuff, actually. So based off of like what you see on his and the files that you've downloaded, and then mm-hmm. looking back to when you first did that first sculpting of this like hand, how different mm-hmm. are these programs? Like, is it light years difference in how they run and function? 
it's funny like it's really not i think there's there's like kind of a there's like a weird misconception when it comes to digital sculpting that it's like easy like people kind of always think like oh it's easy you know clay sculpting's hard digital sculpting is easy um but like they they really do go hand in hand Mm-hmm. You know, like like with any of these, like you have to know how to sculpt to sculpt in any medium. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you can just hop in. You know, it's like yeah. people who buy a, you can spend fifty thousand dollars on a brand new digital camera, but like that's that's not going to make you Ansel Adams. Like it's not going to turn you into a, a famous photographer. Yeah, and sort of the same. And so it's like some of the tools and things. Like I don't know ZBrush. Like I think Desert Octopus uses ZBrush. Mm-hmm. Just because I've spent so much time in Maya and the the hotkeys are all opposite, it's just, I, mean, I I just don't want to learn anymore. Is like the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Like I'm done learning softwares, but like you're still just like this. You know, there's like pull tools, push tools, smooth tools. Like, you know, it's just the same kind of general toolbox mm-hmm. that you would have if you were in front of clay or 3D or like anything you want to sculpt in, like yeah. gum. If you want to sculpt it, you still are using the same kind of basic tools. Mm. And so like, while the files are different, like when I did this, the creature claw, which I, which I have up here, like it was the saved file was like huge at the time. It was like 600 megabytes, you yeah, know? So like that was kind of hard and like 3d, 3d printers at the time, some of them like wouldn't accept files over like 140 megabytes. Jeez. So, so like that was an issue, which we don't have now. Mm-hmm. But uh, but aside from that, like that's just you know across the board, I, I would say they're all they're all fairly fairly similar. You know, like yeah. you, there, there's some guys that were digital digitally sculpting way back when digitally sculpting started that had like a much smaller tool set that can out sculpt me a hundred times over, like mm. deep classical sculptors. Like yeah. it's just a that's a gift that I, I never got. So you're doing this the hand. Mm-hmm. And you, you, I'm assuming it went well because you turned it like at some point turned it in. Did he love it? Yeah, here it's right here. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Seeing pieces of your history. Yeah, so this is it. Oh, it's I mean, massive. it's like it's it's big. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's a big big piece. Yeah, I turned in first pass. He loved it. Uh, they sent it to Universal. Universal mm-hmm. approved on first pass, no revisions. And then just went straight into production. No revisions on your first go. Yeah, no revisions. I mean, oh, it was yeah. like it was crazy. And then I mean, and it sold out too. Like it was a a, uh, a popular piece. Yeah. And then, but then it was just like, here's another job, and it's like, I don't know how to do this job. Yeah. <laughs> so you like just the kept first, saying, yeah, yeah, I just kept saying yes. And like the first four jobs, each one of them was like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Like this was I can't. Look, the claw was I can't do this for one reason. The follow-up was the the Wolfman mm-hmm. 1941 cane head. Like that was a whole other thing of problems. And then I think the the one right after that was an action figure uh, for the animated show Archer. Okay. Which was like, I'd never had, I just had sculpted this like, because I did the Wolfman cane out of clay. Mm-hmm. I did this thing out of digital. And then Archer, it's like, I don't know how to sculpt a human being. Like yeah. I don't know anatomy. And so like each one of them was just this this like, Talk about having um, what's that called? That that complex, that uh, like imposter syndrome. Oh yeah, like it was just like so much imposter syndrome because I definitely felt like I wasn't qualified to be doing the things I was doing. Yeah. So on that, when you did Archer, um, which it's weird for me that they made the jump to 
like the bigger things and then all of a sudden they were like hey also here's a toy like mm. sculpt this for us so uh, two-parter like what's that like because you collected toys and then all yeah. of a sudden being asked to make a toy and then secondly did you kit bash to make the first one and sculpt or did you do a full sculpt of it i just did the full sculpt okay. and it was uh which was like again like i i didn't i just didn't even know human anatomy like well at all and it, it was compounded by the fact that archer was still in season one so like mm. they had no style guides they had no really anything yeah. like they were just kind of like find your own reference um actually if you go so on my website i have a post about it because i got like i got torn up when this figure got released like oh. the meanest stuff oh my god it was ruthless but it wasn't really all my fault and kind of i did a blog post about like this is why everyone hates this figure but this is why this like really isn't all my fault like it was kind of like a lesson in like it, the buck doesn't stop at the sculptor mm -hmm. and so i had sculpted uh, him in his black like or charcoal gray suit yep uh i didn't know how to sculpt um i still don't um Oh my God, I'm a toy designer. Uh, articulation. The, mm. <laughs> God. And um, so, uh, but the guy's like, no, like the factory will take care of the articulation. Like, and it's like, great, cool. Let them do it. Yeah. And then as I'm starting to see these revisions, they're like the, the CEO, like kind of jumped the gun at that company and was like, oh, we should do an SDCC exclusive. Uh, but instead of him in a suit, we'll have him in his uh, tuxedo. And like, wow. One of the, the big things you don't want to do is have a factory make creative decisions for you. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, he, he's like, don't do, don't re-sculpt it. We'll just have the factory take yours, like sand off this part, re-sculpt bits of it. And so he started getting the first shots back and like the articulation was super clunky. Like they'd really broadened his shoulders out and made these odd, just like these giant, like weird joints. Yeah. And, and like they, like they sculpted his tuxedo shirt open, but they gave him like a little bow tie they put his like torso down too low with his like cummerbund. Not even. Know, it. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't even think they, they, there's like a big white space in the middle of him. Like I don't even think they sculpted buttons. Yeah. And uh, it just looked bad. And we'd already been fighting so much with this figure with the licensor about what they wanted versus what we thought looked correct, mm -hmm. which is like we just lose that battle every time. And so it was already yeah. like a bunch of stuff I was not happy with. And then it was like, we couldn't have them change the sculpt couldn't have them change the um, articulation and this thing gets released you know it's the first figure for archer Arch archer was like gaining cult popularity so fast yeah. and everyone just saw it and was like like god like someone told me i should like be murdered and then mm. like resurrected so i could be killed again oh uh, like, yeah no no they were like yeah like I, I was called like the worst sculptor that had ever existed on the planet earth like really like specifically like you yeah. are horrible at this and that's when i stopped reading reviews of things that i sculpted but like i, I saved that, a couple of them that's it, a good, it, 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 yeah. yeah i mean you, you can't please everyone and i but like in the back of my like my heart i agreed with it because i didn't like the changes either but yeah like no one thinks like oh maybe the factory did this everyone's like this figure sucks the guy who sculpted it's why it sucks yeah it sounds like you had no um, 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like no creative or artistic license with this. Once they said they wanted something, you just kind of went along with it and they kind of effed things up. Well, that's kind of like what happens though when you yeah. work in toys professionally. Like the the buck stops at the licensee or licensor, I'm sorry. And so like one of the things that um, that was really odd was that Archer's legs, his pants are very straight. Yeah. But like the guy who, whatever, whoever, I forget what his role was. He wanted these like really tapered, like, like English spy movie pants. And so they were almost like hourglass to the knee and down. And so then that kind of gave like a weird gap in his crotch. Cause like weird. his pants aren't like that, but then they make us do it. And he has very bland flat tip shoes on the cartoon. Yeah. And he made us sculpt these like super elaborate pointy, like $4,000 leather shoe. Like he gave us the, the example in pictures. And um, another thing was like Archer's 2D. And so you're trying to make a 3D thing out of a 2D thing. And they based Archer on a real actor. And so I went and I found that actor's photo and I just sculpted that actor because mm-hmm. he looks like Archer, but like that was too human. And so then I went, okay, like, let's just go more 2D. And they're like, well, that's more, that's too cartoon. And so you get these like odd feedbacks that you kind of yeah. don't really know how to kind of calculate, mm-hmm. but it, it so you, there's like a little creativity trying to figure out like, how do I get you to say yes to this but the end result might is could be something where you're just like this is there's none of me in this anymore like i I was the tool that made it but like my heart is is gone because it became a because now i'm I'm just following orders at this point bummer so do you have the archer toys uh i i do i I don't have i I still have the 3d files for my originals The we three of them. So we did Pam, Krieger, and Archer. Mm-hmm. And uh they 3D printed those and painted them really nicely to be displayed at Toy Fair mm-hmm. in New York. And like those I think look really good. Like, and when I show people pictures of those, like I'll throw them up on my Instagram once in a while. And people are like, whoa, this line, like, why didn't this line come out? And I'm like, there's so many reasons why. You're like, it <laughs> did. <laughs> it was different. Yeah. I'm like, one did, and then everyone hated it, so they didn't make any more. Yeah. And uh but like those look really good. And I still have the files for those. And I'm like, one day I'm, I'll, I'll reprint them just so I have my own personal set. And in my closet back here, I have one of the carded San Diego ones that just kind of lives in the closet. So it's almost more of like a, uh, I get more disappointed. It kind of bums me out more. Like some yeah. of the Mego stuff I've done, like I have on my wall, like where I could see it. So it's like fun stuff. Like that one just kind of bums me out. So it was like, yeah. <laughs> generally, it was like, it was just a nightmare. I mean, I think, I think we were like two years into production on that figure. Yeah. Yeah, and then it just, just have something just fizzle out so flat after putting. And I loved that show, yeah, so it was I, like a, a passion project. Oh, and that's that's probably the worst part when the passion just gets sucked out of it, but you still have yeah. to keep going because you're getting a paycheck. Yeah, so it's it's like a. I mean, in the film industry, it's like that though. You like you get put on the movie, you don't want anything to do with. Yeah, but you're like, I'm doing this for seven months, so I just got to smile through it. Yeah, you know, it was kind of the same thing with that, where it's like at a certain point, it just became a, a thorn in my side. Yeah, but you just have to keep keep your smiley face on and and, and muscle through it. So the like you create that, and uh, do you continue to make toys, um, like different toy lines up until you decide to move into the resin bootleg scene? Like, how many more toys until you all of a sudden 
you start to break out and do that? It was kind of around that because okay. it was such a like a just a time. disheartening experience. Yeah. You know, and um <clears throat> so I I discovered resin toys a couple of years before I sort of like got into them, I would say, like even just as a collector. Mm -hmm. uh because i i so steve sansweet and i have been friends for years and I, if you're are you familiar with steve no i'm not yeah, steve owns rancho obi-wan which is like oh, in the yeah, guinness yeah. book of world record yeah and uh and so i used to to go up on weekends uh i would drive up and uh one of one of my my friends who i actually met through steve would mm -hmm. go up and cause he has this like giant collection but like no one to archive things. And I'd always been really good at repairing and restoring. And so like, I'd go up and spend an afternoon Steve's cause things would be broken. You know, so I got to like repair like a screen used R2D2 dome one day that had gotten cracked. Ooh. Like there's always something really fun to fix yeah. up there. And my, my friend who would go with me had a, like a, like a library background. So he would just organize this like massive star Wars book collection. Mm -hmm. And Steve was always there. And we, I mean, Steve's like Steve and his husband are like just wonderful, kind people. Mm -hmm. so it's always fun being there with him and there's always just like weird little things like just trapped in corners and uh one day in like the and so steve would make like a fix pile for me and it was a it was the suck lord 60 the first suck lord figure suck lord 66 i think uh -huh. it was like the very first one he made and the, and the bubble had fallen off and steve was like can you glue this bubble back on and i was like what is this and he's like some guy like in a dress like boba fett like a silver boba fett sold it to me at, so I forget where he got it but I was like this is like cool and it was the first time I'd realized like like you could make these things mm -hmm. like this is just a guy and he figured out how to make this you yeah. know and it was numbered so he'd made a couple of them and that kind of you know piqued my interest a little bit and then you know suck lords sort of fame and infamy had kind of grown like he was on such a high fast growing tra trajectory for a while like when he was on the tv shows and stuff mm -hmm. you know it was like following him for his releases and things you know like that and then when um i started to get into it was when um working in the toy industry like the toy industry like how to molding and casting is no mystery it's not like a mystery like it was to like the outside yeah you know there's and like smooth on it just sort of come out with their 50 50 mixes so there wasn't as much math involved and it was way more forgiving. Yeah. And um, I mean, collecting Sucklord stuff, Killer came on the scene. And Killer was uh, way more approachable than Sucklord was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is a good <laughs> way to describe that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Sucklord and I have, have become friends, yeah. you know, and like we like there's no like approachability problems now. Yeah. But like he wasn't the guy that you'd like email to ask for advice. Whereas like Pete, um, like he, he, he came out with a little rattle can R2D2 thing and I had yeah. a similar idea and I was like, Hey, like, how do you do this? Can we do something together? You know? And he just like, call me. And then Pete and I became fast friends. Mm -hmm. And then that's sort of just when I started going more into like, all right, now I, you know, Pete was helping me out. I kind of knew generally what I wanted to do. And that's sort of where yeah. I went into the, like, the, okay, like I'm confident enough now where I can just start making some of these things that I just want to make. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you, you see those figures, um, you start following Suck Lord, do you become a, does that collector spark start getting ignited and you collect? Totally. Oh, which is a, yeah. people don't understand. It's such a bummer to become mm -hmm. a collector in the bootleg scene 
not because it's not fun, but there's so much going on. So you got to like, you're collecting so much all the time then. Well, now, yeah, but like, <laughs> like in 2012, you weren't, Yeah, you know, like there was um, like suckler drops would happen and sell out in like minutes. Mm. Like people were like refreshing to get his stuff. Holy and so it was still like kind of a mystery. And it was like, and I like David Healy was doing it at a parallel time with him, but I wasn't as aware of Healy's work. Um, yeah. And so like Instagram, he was there. Right? No, this is pre Instagram. And he, and Healy was more, um, or it might've been like early Instagram, mm -hmm. but Healy kept more to himself. Like, like okay. Sucklord's personality is very like external. Mm -hmm. And I feel like uh, David's is more internal. Yeah. And so um, I like, like this, the louder person kind of gets the attention yeah and so like and then i found there's like a, an internet group called the galactic jerk bags they're like a suckler fan group so you join there and like talk about talk about drops and then pete kind of came on the scene and then uh pete would have his drops and so and then like pete being um so willing to help like pete started that sort of like i guess you would call like it's sort of the the common nomenclature for that is like the generations like it's like mm -hmm. suckler and healy are first gen he's the pete's second gen like my grouping would probably be third gen and then like fourth and so on like that's when it really started to grow like it kind of seeded after pete where um a group that were collectors started realizing we can make stuff yeah and then like it it came in the same time when smooth on started making their easier to use products and they had a great video series on their website. Like the smooth on video series on how to mold and cast was awesome. It was like made for resin bootleggers. Mm -hmm. And so like the information, um, the barrier to entry for information just disappeared. Okay. And so like you could, it was cheaper, it was easier. And like, because like these like wave three guys had gotten help from essentially P mm -hmm. it was like pay it forward. Yeah. And so then like you just get exponential growth and like, and now there's so many, like you couldn't, keep up but like back then like my resin collection i thought i went like pretty full bore into it mm -hmm. and um i was going through it the other day looking for uh something i did i had a photograph a piece and i was like there's not that much stuff here but like it's also kind of like a history lesson at the beginning of the scene yeah which is kind of fun it's like really early suckler pieces like early early um killer bootleg pieces some some pieces from like Manor Monster who doesn't do this anymore, but did some great stuff back in the day. Mm -hmm. You know, like a lot of these faces and names that have kind of like trickled off even still. And so yeah, it's kind of like this is my own resin museum, call it yeah. the, the early days time capsule. Interesting. <laughs> so when you say you, um, which I'm gonna have to remember Manor Monster to figure out who like where they are and get them on here. Um, I'll have to send you some pictures of this. They do. Um, he does the uh, Warlords of. Warlords of War was his like name for his series, but they're he does them now with those like smaller glios. Okay. Holy spacing on the event line. It's like a like a almost like a Masters of the Universe looking line, but they're smaller mm -hmm. and they're through glios and they're super cool. But uh these are just some of his old handmade pieces. So you are saying that you didn't have um that many, which it's crazy because you probably still had a majority like you were collecting so you had even if you had 20 you had collected a majority of what had been released correct yeah like there was it wasn't like i didn't i never wanted everything like i've never been like an obsessive collector like that yeah but i definitely had pieces i really liked from 
like the main people in that time period. Yeah. You know, like it was uh, like two bit hack. I used to love his work was always really funny. And so like, I have one piece from him, but it's a piece like I really, really like, yeah. you know? And so, and uh junk fed, I've always, I've always really liked his stuff. And so I only have, I mean, we did, we did a collaboration together. So like I have that piece, but I mean, like I have like one or two pieces that I really liked from the beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was more like more getting um, representation from the artist I like versus like the actual feeling the need to like accumulate. Whereas, you know, like there's completest collectors out there who like need everything. This was more yeah. just like, like, I like, I'm so much more inclined to buy. I don't want to say art. I don't like, but like a piece I like less from someone I like more mm -hmm. than vice versa. Okay. You know? So when and you so, started making, what was that first figure? Cause now we're getting into the nitty gritty of the beginnings mm -hmm. of you doing this. So like, what was that first figure? And then how did you release it? Was it a run? What was that like? So I did one called the Amazon, which okay. was based on the uh, the Amazon character from the Nintendo Pro Wrestling game. Oh, okay. And so, and I loved that game. I loved the Creature from the Black Lagoon. This is kind of like the Creature from the Black Lagoon character. And uh, it, it was just like, this seemed like it'd be an interesting thing to do because it was still like so Star Wars centric. Mm -hmm. And I was in like kind of a Star Wars burnout phase still then. And so it was like, let's do something that no one's doing and it was like no one's doing nintendo figures mm -hmm. like so this is a this could be a first and then it was yeah. um what body you make any use because again like i've heard this being referenced before on your on your show like a lot of the older resin guys there was this like weird beef going on where people would be like oh like i'm the only one who can use the cobra commander coded cobra commander head yeah. like i'm the only one who can use this and so you kind of wanted to like you didn't want to because the community was so small you didn't want anyone to like turn against you Mm -hmm. almost and so um no one was using super uh, or um not super power secret wars figures okay at the time so i'm like cool i'm gonna make this figure on a secret wars body and uh we're just gonna go and it even was like i don't even know if people were doing like i remember like feeling like really smart and like splurging like the extra buck per card back to have like full color printed front and back on the card yep. backs you know because that felt like a big like luxury and so it was very, like, it was just no one, there was no set standards yet. And so I did that. I did my first run of them and uh, the mold ripped. I just, I, I just screwed up molding and, um, and they turned out kind of flawed. And so I just stuck them in baggies and I made like a header card. That's like the Amazon. I called it like the first round edition mm -hmm. and just saying like, I painted them still. It was like, Hey, like these are a little goofy, like they're not great casts. Um, but I, I had like seven or eight of them and, uh, I put them up on the, the jerk bags forum and they sold out like immediately. Wow. And so I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know? And so then when I kind of refined it and did the carded version, same thing, like put it up on the jerk bags forum. I think I sent a message to like Spanky Stokes Twitter or something mm -hmm. back in the day. And then those just sold out like at, within hours. Yeah. like really really quick and then uh that's just kind of how i got into it and I, it's it's funny now because like a lot of people i run into now even will be like oh like that's the first figure i saw that made me want to do this and like when i started um when dan o'brown reached out to me to do a, a collab like he he had he had referenced that he's like oh i always wanted that figure and he's like like i couldn't like figure out how to get a hold of you or 
or someone will be someone sent me a message where they're like, I wanted you to make me one, but like you didn't respond to my Instagram and I, I thought you were a total jerk for all these years. Like it's so yeah. And that that kind of became that. And then um I just went went from that. Rad. So uh you you start creating, and this is probably I'm assuming like 2000, what, 11, 12? Yeah, somewhere around there. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and you are in this process. At what point do you get linked up with, it, or if you do, like conventions? And then what is this? Mm -hmm. How long do you stay in creating resin bootlegs? And man, I, it's like a, like a three-parter right here. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. How do you get linked in if you do with those convention circuits? Mm -hmm. And then how long are you in this, in this swing? And on top of that, are you creating runs usually, or just one-offs at the beginning? I was, uh, well, I, I never really did the convention circuit. Like I never sold anything through like Dove's table. Like I never went the, D, the DKE route. I never set up a booth at designer con. Um, I just sort of made things and then just put them out there and if someone wanted to buy them like cool because like kind of the whole collector community was really just in that galactic dirtbag message board like there wasn't that many people collecting at the time and so you could reach out to the whole community fairly easily yeah and so it was so insular that way um i was doing runs then i started kind of experimenting with like uh like a bigger like larger format figure mm -hmm. like i did a maria from metropolis and like migo scale like real big and I like glued it to a frame and I kind of made it look like a pulp novel, like book cover. Um, and I sold none of them, like none, like zero, not one of them sold. And uh, around that time though, I also discovered that resin fumes give me really nasty migraines. Oh, okay. And so I had a really hard time doing it because I couldn't figure it out at first. Like I was getting migraines and it took me a while to sort of associate the, the two of them. Mm -hmm. So then it was like, well, that's, you know, like it's not worth a migraine, but, uh, I could sculpt like that was kind of my thing. Like I, I could still sculpt things. And a lot of the guys that were doing the rest of the figures, I mean, I don't want to say they couldn't sculpt. They just didn't think they could, you know, like it was just sort of a different, different yeah. time, you know, like it's hard to sculpt a head this big. And so, and a lot of them became very good sculptors, but like at that point, like that was sort of something unique to me that I had. Mm -hmm. And so other guys would be like, Hey, I want to make this figure, but I can't kit bash it. Like, let's, let's do something together. And so I started doing a lot of collabs. Like my, all my first collaborations are with Pete at killer bootlegs. He was starting. Yeah. Like I sculpted a Rankin bass golem that he loved. So he's like, let's make a run, you know, or then I do, I'd sculpt a head and he would, you know, find reasonable body parts for it. And we do stuff that way. And I, I, that's sort of become like more of my, my toes are more dipped into like the collab. Mm -hmm. stuff in, in resin than they ever were like self-producing just because yeah. it made me kind of sick and and this was like i get to kind of step back from the part that hurt the most yeah and so you're you're in this creating process you're doing all these collaborations and all of that and and if you if, if they've listened to the patreon we we kind of talk mm -hmm. about the idea of what the scene was like and and the beef that yeah. was there and um and as it continues to grow, how long do you stay in the scene before you start to look around and decide, maybe this isn't what I want to do anymore. Maybe it's lost its luster. It was kind of for a while. I wasn't prolific, but I was always 
doing something mm-hmm. like I have a lot of collaborations with Pete, uh, with someone junk fed. You won't even want to suck word. He doesn't collaborate a ton. Mm-hmm. We did an early collaboration together. Um, like I actually did, did one not that long ago with uh, Ryan snap mm-hmm. who, uh, who I, I love his work. He'd be, he'd be a great guest. So like, yeah, it's, it, I guess, uh, I mean, it's funny. Like I say, it's been a while since I collabed and I forgot, like, I like just did something with Ryan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, that's just, it's, it's hard to, we did the, um, uh, gosh, what's it called? Oh, it's not like Slasherween. It was like a Halloween slasher film. Um, uh, I did with that with him. Like that's, that's super recent. Like that was just last October. Like that was just a couple months ago. Yeah. You know, and we did a, I sculpted, we tried to make it this one figure where it was like, let's make the worst Michael Myers figure we can. So I took oh, like gosh. all the worst aspects of the yeah. worst masks and did a head and then he cast it on, on a body. Mm-hmm. So like, it's been like, but like, this is stuff now where it's, it's like, like I'll, I still, I'll still collab. I, it's just like, it, it it's, I don't want to be like, it has to be on my terms. Cause that sounds horrible, but like, it's just like, it's not about money or anything, you know, like I turn down sculpting jobs a lot just because I, it's just, if it's something I'm personally not invested in, like I can't get behind it, but like the stuff that like I did with Ryan, it's like, this sounds really fun. Like, let's just do it. So like, I'm still kind of in there, but it's, yeah. it's few and far between. And it's just things that I think will be fun now because between like real work and freelance and everything else, like so much of that energy is zapped. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard for me to take on uh, a sculpting job yeah that like and again like it's not about cash but like that isn't gonna pay as well Mm -hmm. or something i'm not as interested in just because like forcing myself into this just stopped working a long time ago yeah and so you know and so i would say when i kind of decided like i really kind of stepped out was more i kind of got to the point where it was like i realized like i'm doing these things with much bigger names than i have Mm -hmm. But like, I'm not getting the recognition of it as much. Uh, And it wasn't because they're not giving me recognition. Everyone was, is always like, I did this with Tyler. Like this Mm -hmm. is Tyler and I, but like, like I, like people didn't know that, you know what I mean? Like even, even still people hit me on Instagram and they'll be like, I didn't know you did this piece. I'm like, my name's on it. You know, Mm -hmm. like my name's on the card back. And it kind of just felt like it, it was just spinning my wheels a little bit. Yeah. Because like, I, I don't have the, the time, especially with, I mean, with two children, you know, when they were much younger, like there isn't the time to like do a bunch of molding and casting and painting work outside of it. And so it was like, I'm not like what I'm, what I want out of it isn't happening. And I didn't see the scene growing to a point at that time where it felt like it was something where it's like, stick it out. Cause you're going to have like a long-term reward. Like this will become a serious movement. Like maybe you'll, yeah. you can, you know, still be considered like an early, uh, early adapter of this mm-hmm. and so then it was just kind of like ah like why like why why do that anymore yeah and i it, what's crazy is we when we did talk we talked about how drastically the scene changed from when you got in to mm-hmm. by the time you left and how like it it wasn't expanding as quickly as people thought it would or it wasn't growing and or it wasn't doing what it needed to do to be this powerful movement. And, yeah, and so 
when you left, well, when you took a step back, because it sounds like you still haven't, like you never will fully leave, like right once a resin person always. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the fun part that keeps me in there. Yeah. Because it's, you know, but I, I left too, because as we said in the, in the Patreon, it's like prices crashed. And so yeah. it's like the the time in per dollar out also became not valuable to me because like I have children, like I value my time with my children. I value my time with my family, you know, like yeah. I put a higher value on my free time than I was getting back from the, the resin work. With all of that, what makes, like, how do you jump back out of the scene and start doing more professional stuff and doing that again? Cause then is this when Migo comes back, like comes in for you and you're sculpting all these things too, or that's kind of when that, yeah, like that's, um, I met the guys before they reformed Migo. Mm -hmm. Uh, they had a different company or one of them had a different company and we had like, we had just met at monster Palooza or something when we got to chatting and it was like, Hey, keep in touch. And nothing really came of it. I started doing custom Migos because I just mm -hmm. thought they were kind of fun. And uh, that kind of caught the eye back of one of the, you know these guys that was at Migo. And I had just one day, because uh, I kind of wanted to sculpt more stuff. Like I loved sculpting heads. And mm -hmm. I was like, I, I, wanted, I, I wanted to sculpt more large scale production toys, yeah. which I hadn't done as much. And I just reached out and I was like, hey, like, remember me? Like, yeah. <laughs> if, if you need a head sculptor, like, let, yeah. let me, let me try, you know, like I, I can do this. And, uh, and the guy wrote back and he's like, actually, we do need some sculptors. And we just started kind of doing little bits and pieces here and there. And then, um, it kind of got put together. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty fast sculptor. Mm -hmm. Like I can do things quick. And so I sort of get a lot of like special projects type jobs which I love because I don't, I, I would much rather be done with something if I can do something in two hours versus spending a month on it, mm -hmm. like sign me up for two hours all day long. Yeah. Like, and so, uh, and that's just more fun for me. And so I started getting these emergency jobs, like, especially during COVID because we started having all these shipping issues with China mm -hmm. and they're like, we have to have this head to the factory tomorrow afternoon. Like, can you sculpt and send me the files like today? Yeah. And it was like, no problem. I mean, like, I don't want to tell you like which one it was, but there's a, a Mego head out there that I sculpted in 90 minutes. Yeah, like, does that mean your price? Like when they say things like that, it's like, awesome. It doubled <laughs> now because you need it tomorrow. It should, but then they'll just be like, we'll just find someone else. In this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, and it, it, I, I really like doing it and it, it kind of keeps that muscle flexed because I don't do as much yeah. sculpting in my, my day job anymore. And so it's mm -hmm. kind of like, I kind of need both to kind of keep, almost just keep like my sanity as a creative. Yeah. And so, you know, they kind of feed off each other. Like one I do during the day, the other one I do, you know, after hours and on weekends and during, during free times like that. But it's, it's a nice sort of balance between the two. Cause it kind of, it's one of those things like if you don't, you stop exercising muscles, they go away. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So you, and then it, it's tough. So you you have pursued this, which leads us up to mm -hmm. current because I've yeah. seen you posting pictures and seeing these crazy skills. And to see your name on the back of these packages is just insane. And I love that Migo does that. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. It just and like I, sculptors so rarely get credits on things. It's like reading a children's book 
when it at the on the front page it said or on the front cover it's like this author this and then it like illustrated this and then it just lists them all and that there's a part to me that finds that so wholesome when everyone Mm -hmm. gets credit all at once and so that i think that's cool it's kind of how it should be like it's just it's just nice like you don't have to do it but like how many sculptors are just especially in the toy industry are just gone like lost to history you know there's a couple whose names you might know or just kind of due to instagram but just of all the guys who were sculpting it kenner during the glory days and mattel and you know hasbro and playmates yeah so many of those people like they did such so much work that touched us Mm -hmm. and like i I don't know who they are yeah which is so disheartening they did such amazing prolific work and then the rest of us are like well we don't we don't have any idea what your name is it could be this toy that you held on to every day for for two years and like stuck in your pocket with you every day going to school you know what i mean yeah and like you know it could have even inspired what career you took (laughs) you know an x-wing pilot and you become a pilot whatever but like and this thing has so much value to your life and shaping who you were and you have no there's in but like the relationship with it ends at the plastic yeah you know like there's like someone someone like sat down and made this and it's always under weird conditions but it's like there is a there are human hands all over this thing yeah but as a kid it feels like it was made for you yeah like this someone made this just for me yeah and then you see another copy of it and you're like this is bullshit i'm over i'm i'm done mm-hmm. with this uh so <laughs> You uh, have exited, but you are also like slightly doing some collabs still here and there, it Mm -hmm. seems like, which is a cool thing. So here is the, as we start to wrap this up, so you can go fix a Barbie dream house. I have a dream house to fix. Yeah. Um, What is coming? If you can share it with it, like, where are you still in this toy scene? Where do we still see you? Where are you um, going uh, and then what companies are you, if you can, like what companies you deal like that kind of stuff, where are you headed? Uh, this year? Well, I've got a, a ton. I did a ton of sculpts yeah. uh, for Mego just over the past a- ages. Mm-hmm. And a lot, most of those are going to be coming out this year just because supply chain backed everything up so much. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's going to be, and they'll be all over my Instagram and, uh, it's funny. I would like, I would say some of them, but I can't even, I don't even remember which ones are secrets now. I know like, uh, in Mego, we have a universal classics, invisible man coming out soon. Okay. Mole person's coming out soon and slim from killer clowns coming out oh, soon. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the GI Joe two pack I did for them in Hasbro, uh, was delayed. So that should be releasing in April. So that'll be coming out. Uh, a lot of my work for Paragon effects group is coming out. Like that's all in shipping containers now coming to the States. And that was all fun stuff. That's just more like, um, that's more like the creature claw would be like more high end limited stuff. Um, personally, like as far as, uh, like resin stuff, I've been teetering with the idea because the Amazon figure always did really well for me, but I also like one of my pet peeves is like repetition, Mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, uh, you you know, like I I don't, I don't want to be the guy who like does one thing once that does well and then just keeps repeating the same thing just in different like colors or whatever so i did like a the first amazon then i did a second version of it 
that I released um, a couple of years back, like years, years back. Yeah. And I've, I've had this like third kind of updated all new sculpt version of it just kind of sitting, mm-hmm. like not really sure what I want to do with it. And I, I'm kind of like, like, okay, like maybe this would be a fun time just to like do a version three. It's, it's the figure everyone always asks me about. Yeah, it's we're coming up on a 10th anniversary. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, and like, it's it's great. It's like a totally all me sculpt, you know, like I, I, I really like it. Like it still yeah. has sort of a retro vibe. It's still like five POA style, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's me. It's kind of the way I wanted to make it. So there, that's probably something that'll come out this year at some point. Is there a part of you that that thinks that if you do create this, it might ignite in you like to jump back into this whole scene? It might. Like there's always little things that yeah. kind of come up. Like I, I have a lot of, I, I'm just going to call them like general retro style, like, like retro style sculpts I've just done. And it's like, God, is there a way I could tie these together and make it a line? But like some are kind of like retro futuristic, some are kind of fantasy based. Yeah. Like they can't all really merge together. But I'm, I, I still have this like, I kind of want to make a cohesive line of something. I don't know what I would even do with it, mm-hmm. but I, I just would like to do that. Okay. You know, like uh, just sort of a collection of stuff I enjoy. I just need to find a way. I kind of go with the story first route with these things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I don't want to, worse you know square pegs into round holes yeah but like it, it's it's always still been there and so I'll, I'll just do like warm-up sculpting and just come up with something and it's like oh that's actually kind of cool like maybe we can do something with this later down the line and so there's a lot of that i just don't know what to do with it mm-hmm. like mentally or physically like i, I don't i don't i know i, I don't want to pour a bunch of resin but like with 3D printing, like I'm like, you know, I can 3D print small runs of them. So I'm just kind of, again, just kind of figuring out which direction it's going to take. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's this, we're coming up to my favorite part where you get to talk about where you are, like how can people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about stuff, where we can find your work, what all that stuff. So this is, this is the last part all about you right here. Well, thank you. I mean, my website's hamfx.com and that's kind of a, that's just a general portfolio site. I can be reached through there. And really the only other place I exist in the, the social media world is on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's at culture pop toys. And so I'm available there constantly. Um, I've always kind of said, like, I don't think my opinion's worth anything <laughs> like more than <laughs> anyone else's, you know, but yeah. like I've, I've, art, I've been art directing for a long time. You know, I've been in the toy industry for a while. Like if anyone has is, ever wants to run something by me, like I love talking about things. You know, I love giving advice when I'm asked for advice. I try yeah. not to give unsolicited advice. And I just like meeting people and talking toys. And if you want to, you know, collaborate on something and it sounds interesting, like that is a possibility too, you know? It's, awesome. Yeah, pretty accessible to this stuff. And I love talking about it. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for coming on Toys on Tap for a second time. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it.
Toys on Tap. Toys on Tap. The next episode. The next episode. It's great. It's amazing. You're going to want to listen to it. It's not right now, though. You're going to have to wait till the next episode to listen to it. Oh, when's that? The next one. Cool. Toys on Tap. Toys on Tap. The next one's going to be good, too. So stay tuned and, and, and listen to that. Toys on Tap. Awesome.